name is Nick. And I'm Damien. And you're listening to the EQIQ Podcast. This is where the independent scientist and biotech entrepreneur come to find new paths to success. Join us as we discuss strategies to launch your vision, grow your team's potential, and uncover hacks to push your career well beyond what you thought possible. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome back to the EQIQ podcast. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. And hello to the man who's controlling it all. Say hello, Pablo. Yo, what's up, everybody? I can pull in the strings behind the curtain like Mr. Oz. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like. I'm Nick and my co-host, Damien. We are the principal partners at Experimental Designs Consulting. I was just reading. It's a great segue. (laughs) It is a good segue because one of the things I wanted to bring up is my weekend reading over the latest statistics in job reports. And... In the CNBC uh, report, you can probably even check it up. It's basically comes and talks about the great resignation. Can we put a link to it in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that it talks about is that 44% of workers are looking for new jobs. And this has been the largest spike of people quitting jobs. It's crazy because this has never been seen before. The last time you had such a huge spike in people leaving their jobs was not since the like 1980s. And it's kind of crazy because we think about why are people quitting? What is it about people not wanting to do their jobs and stuff? And we get it a lot because in our for our clients, they're always wondering how do they find more employees? And as a laboratory where you're not necessarily like at the bench all the time, Mm. but also your combination of not being remote on the online computer. Like, how do you manage all of that? Right. I know, Nick, you yourself have kind of gone through this just this past pandemic. It's a common, common problem, in my opinion, formed from two years in a pandemic. It's almost a misconception. Mm. Those are some those are some bold (laughs) words with with because some people they're like, oh, I can't I can't find anybody. Nobody wants to like join my lab. Nobody wants to join. I can't find staff scientists. I can't find postdocs. I can't find students. They're they're bold words, but I I will tell I will give myself a pat on the back because we have been doing our fastest recruitment ever mm. during the pandemic. And that is we're keeping track of those numbers and it has a lot to do actually refers a lot back to what we were talking about last week, uh which is just knowing what it is mm-hmm. you want. I would go as far as saying that because of what we've done and and the tools that we implement, we actually managed to, to circumvent this whole great resignation issue. And for us, it just increased the pool. Mm. And so you have more people out there looking and we just managed to capitalize on that. But then, you know, the big question is, how did you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Rub the lamp of the genie. Yes. And then I pop out. Uh, (laughs) Again, it really just comes down to knowing what it is you want. However, the big shift in all this is knowing what you want, being able to pivot from that position into knowing what your applicant or what that eventual person that you're going to hire, what it is that Mm -hmm. they want, and then finding alignment Mm. between those two things, which is incredibly simple. And as we've said many, many times, if something is simple to say, it's probably because it's very complicated to do. So you're saying knowing what you want helps you to articulate that to others and then asking them what they want and then aligning those two wants together. Is that kind of safe to say? 
Correct. Yeah. It's just about creating these two paths, these outlines of what two independent parties will Mm -hmm. want and finding where the intersection between those two is, provided that they're both pushing this collective arrow in the same direction. Yeah. So like last week when we were talking about strategy, the concepts of surrounding strategy, I mentioned about a client that was looking for a postdoc. And then we kind of reverse engineer that process for coming up with the job description, coming up with the quote strategy for finding somebody. How would you articulate a little bit better about the steps in and around that kind of helps circumvent this big, huge, looming, great resignation? So if we're starting with the end in mind uh, strategy, the foundation to that is is knowing what it is you want. But you know, let's assume that we're taking it from that point, from the point where you know what it is you're going to do. You have some viable plan in mind. And now we're at the staffing mm-hmm. part of it. Some people will call it a profile. Us at EDC, we call it an avatar. We want to build this fake, fictitious person, personality that is going to come into your lab and Mm -hmm. work for you. We're going to do this without limitation. This means that this person is ideal. And by ideal, I mean 110% Perfect. This is not going to be a realistic individual, which is sort of the the, the biggest pushback that we get. <laughs> I was just when about to this. say, like, well, well, this this person doesn't exist. Like, no, they don't exist. But the argument there is, if you've ever done any type of interviewing or you've ever tried to select anything, you've tried to make a decision or pull the trigger on some kind of decision. What do you do? You go out, you look for example, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if we stick with with recruitment, anyone will know that by the time you get through through a few candidates, uh, whether it be like looking through CVs or doing uh, interviews, you're going to get, you know, quote unquote, better at it. And it's not that you're getting better at it. It's just you're getting more and more clear on what it is that you want. You're getting the opportunity to evaluate the different skills, the different abilities within the pool that you have. And you're actually comparing them to each other. Oh, let's let's dive a little bit more into that, Nick, because I think it's really important that we realize what you just said there. They're getting better at it. It's actually, you're right. They're getting more clear about it. And with every successive right. candidate pool, you you just start to refine and get closer and closer to that, quote, ideal avatar or ideal candidate. Which actually just links right back to the avatar mm-hmm. that we're just talking about, right? So it's not necessarily an aside that, you know, we're comparing. All we're doing is manufacturing an individual, right? That perfect person. Now, do you need to take some liberties when you're comparing in a real life person to your fictitious personality profile? Yeah, of course. But now we're going to start having the ability to evaluate the places where we're flexible, the the places where maybe you're more willing to train something versus you want someone to come, we'll call it pre-programmed with with a certain Mm -hmm. skill. Or maybe you want them to be pre-programmed. But then at that point, we can start looking at the, the second, third degree consequences of that. So if we want someone who's highly experienced, right, our avatar is basically perfect. This person comes in, can do everything that we want and be independent and you know you can go off and do whatever it is you want you don't need to pay attention Mm -hmm. to them that person is going to be ridiculously expensive you know we're talking 
top tier scientists, probably project scientists, right? 120 plus, maybe. Um, is that in your budget? Maybe it is. Most likely, it's probably not. That might not even be the individual you're looking for. Right. I think that you're bringing up the, the salary points or how much those people cost. But don't you think that sometimes those price points becomes rate limiting as far as developing the avatar or ideal candidate? So with, with our clients, we're using a lot of different concepts and we're working with them with a lot of different tools to, to develop metrics that won't necessarily surround that price metric mm-hmm. so much, right? The, the price of this person will be a factor, but it's not going to necessarily be a primary one. If we're going to address the knee-jerk reaction to sort of a brand new founder their focus will be on the money, right? And so do you want to avoid that? Probably just use it as as a tool. It's not sort of the the end all be all to whether or not you can take someone. And then that's true too, which happened mm-hmm. just recently. Uh, we hired someone who blew out the budget, right? We were looking for something around 45,000. Uh, we ended up finding someone that were paying just under 80, right? That's That's a massive restructuring. However, we look at the avatar, right, which gives us that anchor onto which we can base our comparison. And we look at how this person fit that. And then in this case, we're also looking at how this person extended those into sort of different arms of the projects and how they could fill in those knowledge gaps and those skill gaps that we're trying to fill with other people. So then the strategy change, right? We're, we're taking this like two, three steps farther, looking at now second, third hires that don't necessarily need to have some skills because we invested in them. At the I, want to, I just want to... But that's getting way ahead of, of sort of the core of the the comparison. I want to add an asterisk, though. I think the audience should know this part. I know we probably had dropped a few price points, 45K, 80K. Um, Just for the audience out there, the cost for salaried positions are huge ranges in different industries and different fields, even in different countries. So we I want to bring this up because this price point in and around for your uh, industry or your institution or even in your country may be vastly different for someone. However, this is why we can't always just necessarily focus on the price points, but more on the ideal candidate as far as their skill sets and what they do, because then we can start to reverse engineer at least the strategy on how do we get these types of people. Because again, the salaries can be all over the board. So many variables come into play. To play off that too, price and the amount that you can pay and all the biotech entrepreneurs out there will realize that, you know, the 45,000 a year, number that I mentioned, that's very low. (laughs) Super low. People are like, how do you survive? Barely. (laughs) How do you do that? Right. Yeah. There's there's a method to the madness of of how we can do that. But the the point is, and and we get a lot, again, a lot of pushback that, oh, I'm not going to find the right people at this price point. Mm. Again, not true. I'm not just saying that because it's my opinion. It's a fact. I've done it six times in the last two months. Now, there's special circumstances to those. And you better believe that those are not long term, right? It's very different dealing with those numbers. And we need to offer a lot of different other incentives. And that's just part of this avatar creation, Mm -hmm. right? So we start 
looking at what the position is from the interested party's perspective. And then we start describing that using the words that they want to hear. And you'll be surprised when we even drop the word mentorship, how many people just are hungry for it. And some people just don't even have that in their job description, let alone. Well, and then and this is why we were able to skip right over the great resignation and hire people. People want to be learning. People want to be trained. Exactly. What we did was we did an in-depth analysis of who's entering the job market right now. So basically, who is entering the job market is the people that are exiting those jobs. Why are they exiting those jobs? Well, they're exiting those jobs because they seemingly go nowhere. They're probably not getting paid a lot. They're not getting mentorship. You know, it's going to be different for every industry. And us being able to analyze and get so specific about the wants and needs of these individuals allowed us to really tailor make those job descriptions based on the avatar. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that like plays into our whole concepts in and around the EQ IQ concept is that we think that monetary compensation is the only thing that employees care about. This great resignation is a sure disruptor of that idea around money and salary. People are now starting to realize they want more than just a paycheck. In the report, some of the things that they get back that a lot of people said they end up leaving for stuff like benefits, for purpose, their ability for training, flexibility was a huge reason, healthcare benefits, retirement. Mm. There's so many things that are just not monetary compensations. It's important that we highlight that with even in our search. Let's just pick one. Right. Because everyone's going to be like, oh, you guys are saying all these things, but you're not actually like doing it. You know, so here's here's the pearls for you. Let's take a senior tech. Right. We could do sort of a junior one, but that that's kind of like low hanging fruit. We'll do one that's a, a little bit more nuanced. So you're your senior tech. First, you're looking for a certain amount of experience. Right. But being that let's assume that you're in a new space. Other names for senior techs could be research associates, staff research scientists, so many different nomenclatures for that hire. But we can assume this person has two to three years of experience at the bench or laboratory wet bench experience. Right. If we want to take and describe an example, Mm -hmm. we have to go through the actual method. So starting with you know, let's just make a a fictitious brand new company, space, lab, whatever you want to call it. This is going to be the first hire where the space needs someone who is somewhat independent. Um, We can afford to train a little bit, but not too much. We need someone who's organized, someone who's got, let's call it common sense, which, you know, it's a long, a laundry list of different attributes on there but for the sake of time we'll just leave it at that this avatar for the individual will be someone who is someone outgoing uh someone who is organized someone who is detail oriented we're looking for like a research associate or like Mm -hmm. not a brand new tech so someone who is looking at science Mm -hmm. as a career whether that be in academia or industry Someone who is looking to get better, right? Someone who's looking internally, who wants to gain skills and who wants to move on from that position, Mm -hmm. which is just sort of a long-winded way of saying a growth mindset. So that's our avatar. Now, what does this person want? 
right? So at this point, again, we know what it is that the scientists mm -hmm. want. We know what it, like the CEO, whatever it is, the company the wants. What is it that this individual wants? Mm -hmm. They want a job. They want something that's going mm -hmm. to give them skills and they want something that's going to add to their career. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much it, right? They want the opportunity to do those things. So what does that look like on a job description? Well, for someone who's looking to gain skills, we should probably start naming the specific techniques that they will learn or will have the opportunity to mm -hmm. do more specifically directly in the job description. The complicated part about writing that job description, <laughs> I call it being specifically unspecific. So you need to be general enough to capture a range of items, but be specific enough to kind of cap off that range at both ends so that you're not just naming mm -hmm. something like a whole branch of science, right? Mm -hmm. We can't be, uh, we can't just say, oh, you need to know microscopy. Mm -hmm. You need to know how to work with microscopes. There are people that build whole careers on that, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be a lot more specific, which now knowing that it's a senior, a more senior tech, right? Or someone who's going to help out with research, we can give small details in that description and they should be able to infer what the other things are going to be surrounding that. So we don't need to exhaust usually sort of that small little space that you have to describe everything. It might be a good idea to give the audience an example of what a good job description would look like. Do you mind if we bring one up? Yeah, absolutely. One of the more recent ones here. Okay. We are seeking an enthusiastic and team-oriented individual who is passionate about science to join the laboratory as a full-time research assistant. We are a translational lymphoma research lab that uses in vitro and in vivo patient-derived xenografts models for B-cell and T-cell lymphomas to make discoveries about lymphoma biology and to define a new and effective lymphoma therapies. And then we describe some of the ongoing projects and then describe that this candidate who joins the lab will have an opportunity to work closely with physician scientists and to develop novel in vivo and in vitro models of lymphoma and use models to help define novel biological mechanisms, targets, and game-changing therapeutics for clinically challenging lymphoma subtypes. We are looking for an individual who is self-motivated, a team player, and capable of handling multiple tasks and enjoys a fast-paced collaborative research environment. This part for me, I'm always a big, huge fan of this last part. There is a strong emphasis on teamwork and positivity in our laboratory with regards to learning and troubleshooting new experimental techniques and assays. In addition, there is a strong commitment to career mentorship so that the opportunities and experiences of the lab contribute significantly to each member's career goals. For these reasons, this position will be suited for those who are willing to commit anywhere between two to three years in a challenging yet rewarding experience in research. Boom. That's a lot. But we ran through it so that I'm sure there's people like furiously writing notes down like this is the job description I need. So yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you have it. <laughs> um, before we break this down, because I, I do want to get into like the there's three sections, three distinct sections there that that I definitely write with people. Mm -hmm. Just being the person because I know, Damon, you've never you've never read that before or seen it because there's a few that we did 
without you. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, this is a, an academic one. So do you recognize the PI's personality in there as someone who is warm or someone who is cold and like data-driven, very strict? Oh, someone who's warm. Right. There's a lot of wording in there. And this is, I just wanted to point that out before we start breaking this down, because one of the things that we found to be most important about what this person is going to be looking for is the attitude of the team lead or Mm. whoever they're going to be reporting to. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we're trying to capture someone who is warmer, someone who is probably a little bit more on the social side, right? Mm -hmm. This group in particular is not really one to be, you know, get your head down, do experiments and just grind it out. Yeah. There's more, uh, there's more of a social aspect to it. Sort of a, not a group think, but like everyone is figuring out uh, the problems at the same time together. Yep. That's something that we really tried to, to get across in this job description. And I think that, you know, if you read through it, it does come across as a little bit warmer. So the way that these job descriptions have been broken down is the first part is a general statement about the science. Then we get into more specifics about sort of the different scientific projects or goals associated with the actual role. Mm -hmm. The second part is more about the candidate and the opportunities that they can get. So think more of like a career growth, sort of looping them in into really addressing the things that our avatar is going to want. Yeah, personal development. Third section is just really just pouring on the personality. So it's really the vision of that team lead, what the team's going to be like, how it is they're going to act with each other. I always use sort of the, the two pole extremes of, is it going to be sort of that more collaborative environment where everyone's, for lack of a better term, kind of in each other's business, like working, troubleshooting things together, or is it going to be much more fast paced, head down, grinding into Individually, still, you know, there can obviously be some collaboration and there will be, but very much independent and just pushing, 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 because those are two flavors that we see a lot. And I think for some of you that may be familiar with some of these job descriptions and HR development, another facet of this would be called like cultural development or cultural descriptions. And so we try as much as possible describing the cultural and environment in which the candidate or employee will be performing. And so these cultural aspects are just developed from the team leads and an idea from the team leads and what they believe that the culture should be emphasizing. And some of these things talks about like learning, troubleshooting and commitment towards mentorship and development. These are some of the things that are values or value propositions that we use to help find and locate these types of candidates and use the words that kind of resonate within them. And I think these are some of the descriptions that helps us and helps others to say, wow, I really like that. Sounds like an environment that I can thrive. I want to work hard because I want to learn. I want to be more in a collaborative environment. It speaks to those people. Some people that just want to clock in and clock out, they won't even look at this. It doesn't even say anything about that. They don't want to come here. It doesn't say anything about you're going to be paid exorbitant amounts of dollars. We pay at the highest things. We don't speak to that. We speak to those that are intrinsically motivated. They they want to develop. And this is an at an academic center. And I think these are the things that we're very aware of. 
Bringing this back to how we sort of circumvented the, the Great Resignation, we really did hone in on who the individuals are that are leaving those positions and specifically trying to identify and capture them by filtering out the individuals that align with what's written in the job description. One of my mantras when we're doing recruitment is we're not advertising, we are filtering. We don't need to create a candidate pool. The candidate pool already exists. We're trying to mm -hmm. filter it down. And if you take that mentality, that is going to allow you to be more precise with your language and see the aspects of your next potential candidate and write them into these descriptions. So if you notice at the very end, we mention two to three years. So that's a great example of some of the work that we did. This particular job description is for a research technician. The candidate that we want has a growth mentality and is someone who eventually we want to either be in some sort of management position in industry, in a biotech company, or we want them to go to grad school. When we were recruiting, when we were doing the interview, it didn't really matter what it was. We just needed to know that there was something else in mind. And so someone who's coming in and saying, you know what, two to three years, that's perfect for the plan that I have for myself because I want to do X, Y, Z. That gives us, again, sort of this anchor that we can then look at and say, oh, what is the X, Y, Z that these people want? Mm -hmm. So then you go in and you start describing your science. And you start describing the techniques that you're using. And you start using specific language that identifies this very small range of skills and abilities that these people will be able to develop. Because we already know that a huge thing, a huge component of what these individuals are looking for is to develop. And so if we just lay it out for them, all they have to do is apply. And then to boot, you know, we're adding in sort of team lead personality into it all with with mentorship some people want that kind of attention in this case the team lead wanted to be a mentor so we put it in there and lo and behold who is it that they hired someone who wanted to go to grad school someone who was desperate for mentorship who had never gotten that much attention towards sort of career growth ever. Mm -hmm. And then someone who wanted to be in this social sort of troubleshooting together environment. So the cultural fit was perfect. And I think what you're saying there is that describing the person or the avatar allows us to whittle down the screening process or filtering process down to exactly who we want, kind of like panhandling, if you were kind of looking for those little gold nuggets. Yeah, but no, I, it is. But I think that there are, we, we definitely want to make note that there are so many other factors that come into play here from where to search, where to put your job descriptions, what other avenues or mediums to distribute your content in the material. I know there's so much that could be just in and in itself and then there's lots of conversations. But what we want to get people down to some of the core essence for people is understanding how to articulate some of your core values and then identifying an, a precise avatar and developing that into your job description could be a very useful filtering tool to help you to get to exactly who you want. And it's it works. It constantly works. We see it working all the time. 
even even in what we call the great resignation. If anything, we were <laughs> able to connect with those that are looking for more things than just monetary compensation. And it's so challenging because there are a lot of people that don't think about the human element. They just treat these workers as pure hands and bodies to get things done, product in, product out. And people don't want to be treated that way anymore. No. So like you mentioned, it's not an easy task. And many of the people that we work with are surprised at how much work, how much time and effort we're putting into just the preparation for a job description. But, you know, like you mentioned, it's if you put good stuff in, you're going to get good stuff out. And we'll avoid saying the real saying. <laughs> um, and so really the, the take homes here and avoiding a lot of the initial conversations of obviously you need to know what it is you want to get to this point. But the avatar is very much a tool that cannot be restricted by current factor, right? Don't limit yourself by budget. Don't limit yourself by skill. Just think of the role that you need and identify the perfect candidate. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes to writing the job description, think of what that candidate wants. Don't get caught up in describing the science. Spend a little bit more time describing the aspects that your avatar is going to want to achieve, the things that they're going to want to gain. You're not advertising, you're filtering. That pool already exists. You don't need to create it. And then just hire. If, yeah, easily. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the, you hit the nail on the head as far as the avatar development and being able to articulate what that, that ideal candidate looks like. But when some people aren't necessarily sure what that looks like, my I always tell them, I'm like, you may not be sure exactly, but what one thing you do know is this individual is supposed to be helping you to create your vision. And that person should be genuinely helping you to articulate that as well. And so starting off with the end in mind, as far as your vision, what your science looks like, what your research looks like, what's your environment looks like, all that should be enhancing that ability to encompass your vision, your research and your scientific vision, including the types of people that you'll be working with. And if you start there, you can then basically reverse engineer this whole process. And what we're saying here in an avatar and creating that avatar is you're just describing what it would be like to actually have these types of people in your, in your team. The first few times doing it, it's not that easy, but you get better at doing it because you start to refine exactly what you want. And then this is the whole premises of our EQ development to help you to fine tune and articulate that. Again, you may not know the exact words to say, but you know ideally what it would be like experientially to work alongside with these types of employees, trainees, or other support services or teams. And that's what we help people to do. As you can hear, there are many, many, many facets to just writing up a job description. So if that is something you're interested in doing with us, uh, feel free to reach either myself or Damien or anyone on our team through our website, uh, www.experimental-designs.com. Don't forget that little hyphen. Otherwise, we will be talking about more topics like this one or not even like this one maybe other different topics if you have any ideas or have any questions would like to suggest other topics that you would like to hear please reach out to us 
And again, thank you so very much for tuning into the EQIQ Science Podcast. And I am Damien, along with my co-host here, Nicholas, and our producer, Pablo. So thank you so very much. So take us out. Thanks, everybody. Out. Done. was a Raul Maria production. I think there was a lot of caffeine in Nick. <laughs> there was parts where I could see him. He was like, ah, slow down. <laughs> ah, slow down.